Practical wisdom from the first leader of the Christian Church in Jerusalem. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we study James and how to put our faith into action. We are continuing in the book of James, uh, chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 16 today. We finished with verse 15 yesterday, uh, talking about um, temptation with God and uh, how nobody should believe they're being tempted by God. Uh, today we're going to move into a different direction. We're going to talk about um, where good comes from. We'll just go ahead and read it. So James 1, 16 through 18 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of good stuff here. First of all, whenever I see the word deception, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. I immediately think of the evil one, the one who is the master of deception, the one who is the evil lurking around like a roaring lion looking for people to devour that person uh, or, or thing or whatever that God allowed to be created called evil or the devil or Satan, um, the evil presence that rules around this world looking for people to deceive, that's what I think of. And he is out there and he is trying to deceive. He's trying to use this pandemic to deceive people. Uh, he's trying to, I mean, he loves pandemics because uh, he loves to let people live in fear uh, the fear of the unknown. He wants that to grab a hold of people and to say the worst thing that's going to happen, uh, that's what's going to happen and all those sort of things. And God isn't in charge. He doesn't love you. He doesn't exist. There is no good in the world. All those sort of things, that's where Satan likes to live. And what God says is that's where you shouldn't live because there is good. There is love. There is hope. There is his presence in the world. Uh, even in the midst of a pandemic, we can we can uh, we can love each other and be with each other. Why is this pandemic so scary? Honestly, it's because we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what the new normal is going to look like. We don't know how society is going to stay together. We don't know the new rules and the new regulations and all that sort of thing. And the fact is, no, we don't. But that's okay because God's still in charge. He still loves us. He knows that there's a future for us. Think of, one of the people says, think of the worst thing that you can, that you can think of uh, and you know, deal with that, and then you can deal with everything else. That's one way of dealing with your fears. Well, the problem with me is I can think of a lot of pretty bad things, but, um, but I, even in the midst of that, I know that God loves me, cares for me, and uh, I will survive anything that he throws at me. Um, this isn't a temptation, Lord. Uh, well, interesting. As an aside note, I had somebody ask me, uh, we are, we looked at earlier in James, uh, when you when you want wisdom, ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you unconditionally. And someone asked me, is that the same as asking for patience? Because if you ask God for patience, he will put in front of you situations that require patience and then you really learn about patience. Is wisdom the same thing? Is he going to put situations in front of you who are really going to need to have wisdom? And I don't think that's the case. Because the way I read this, he just gives it freely. Anytime you ask, wisdom is there. 
it's almost ubiquitous and it's his spirit, it's his love, it's his truth, it's his wisdom. You simply have to ask and he'll give it to you. I don't think asking for wisdom comes with any caveats. I think you can just ask for wisdom and it'll come. That being said, that was a small aside because I just remembered that. Um, but don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from a God, uh, from above. Don't be deceived because God um, is the author of life and non-deception. Um, God is the author of the good things that come in life. Uh, God is, is love. He's truth. He's hope. Uh, in the middle of this pandemic, God is the one who is still in control and he is not going to, he is, while the evil is out there trying to deceive you, God is out there giving you hope, life, love, wisdom, truth, all the good things. And we will get through this pandemic with, uh, with God and we'll come out on the other side. And yes, it'll look different, but that's okay because God will be with us. And there's gonna, we're going to learn new technologies and life is going to be good. It might even be safer for us. Who knows? Maybe we'll maybe we'll like the masks that we're. I don't, but maybe maybe we'll just see that a lot more. Maybe the thing that I uh, I think will probably happen with the masks is that there'll be this feeling that if you are a loving, compassionate person to the person around you, you'll always wear your mask, uh, even if there's no threat of a pandemic. Um, I think it'll be a, not a status symbol, but a symbol of your love and concern for other people by wearing a mask because people like symbols. People like um, to, out, to do things outwardly that reflect the condition of their heart. And, uh, and so we do a lot of these things. And this mask thing, I'm pretty sure, is going to be, uh, even when we get out of the pandemic, it's going to be a sign or a symbol um, like recycling uh, or... I guess recycling is probably the best, you know, indication of that. that you know, if you love the environment, you'll recycle. Um, even though not all recycling ends up in a recycling facility, and, and we know that, but we do it anyway because we just love society. And we like to tell people that we recycle. And that's probably not the best example, but there's just things that we do to prove to the world that we're acceptable, that we're justified. Um, and so the mask is probably going to become that. I, I just have a feeling that's going to be like if you go out without a mask, people are going to look at you and say, don't you love me? Don't you love the world? Don't you love the environment? Don't you love science? Uh, don't you love, uh, you know, the mask? And, um, and the thing about the mask is I personally have a hard time. If I can only see from the nose up to the eyes, it is not enough information for me to recognize who that person is. It really isn't. So it'll be a huge hindrance for me um, not having masks and facial recognition, you know, that we use for security and all that sort of thing. That's not going to be helpful for that. So, uh, but whatever it is, we'll deal with it. Um, and Satan is going to use it for his nefarious means. So we know that's coming because uh, Satan's always trying to use darkness and dark things for his nefarious means. That's what it says here. Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. What don't we need to be deceived about? Every good and perfect gift is from, a God, uh, from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good gift comes from God. Everything good in your life comes from God.
Everything good comes from God. What can you think about your life and what's good about your life? For me, my life is, you know, my wife, um, the community that I live in, the church that I belong to, the friends that I have, the, the skills that God has given me, um, the blessings that he's showered upon me, my spiritual gifts, my brain, my, uh, my relationships, all that stuff, if, is, if there's any good in it, it comes from God. And if there's any bad in it, it doesn't come from God because only God gives good gifts. And so anything good in your life comes from God. And so you have to think, what, what is he trying to get at here? Like what, of course, every good gift. I mean, I, I guess that's not too hard to believe or to grasp that anything good in this world comes from God. But where are some other sources where we, where we think good is and maybe we say, oh, that's not from God. I mean, what would the world say to that, you know, these gifts? I, I mean, I guess probably... You might think that good comes from chance. Like uh, this good happened not because of God, but just because of the luck of the draw or the roll of the dice or something like that. No, good comes from God. You might say good comes from karma, right? You have, even in the United States, you see people, karma is a Eastern religion thought that says, um, because they don't really believe in God per se, not like we do uh, in Western Christianity, but they believe that there's a force out there that kind of equalizes good and evil, like yin and yen, and um, that if their evil pops its ugly head, that, that the good is out there karmaizing the evil, so that good is, is not from God, but it's just a reaction to the evil that there's a balancing force in nature called karma that balances good and evil on a cosmic level. And so good is just a reflection of evil or the mirror of evil or the, or the, the, the engineering force that, that balances out evil or something like that. No, good comes from God. All good comes from God. It's not a balancing force. It's not a karma. Um, I think the number one place where we might think that evil or good comes from is maybe from within ourselves. Like if any good happens in the world, it's because I do it, right? That, um, you know, I, I uh, give of my time to feed the poor or I donate this thing or I use, you know, my gifts in this area or something like that. It's all about me. If I, if I look at the world around me and I would say, what's the most prevalent here in Western culture? Where, where do we think good comes from? I think we think the good comes from humankind and humanity, uh, maybe the best of humanity. That's where good comes from. Uh, no, it doesn't. There is good that comes out of the best of humanity, but that good comes from God. And God is the source of all good. And humanity is broken. So even if there is good coming out of humanity, it's a, it's, a, it's a goodness that's tainted. The perfect good, the perfect gift is from God, and it's untainted. It's unhumanized uh, by, by, by original sin and by the weaknesses that we have as humanity. Um, you know, I guess you might even say another source would be science. Maybe good comes from science. If we can... Um, if we can just harvest pure science, 
this is what a lot of, I think, atheists believe, is that if we can just get to the truth, right? I'm going to follow the science is a, lo a slogan that's going around today. I'm going to follow the science and whatever the science tells me, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and that is a good thing to do. I will tell you that, that if the science is clear, um, for example, if you throw a 50 ton an or 50 pound anvil off the top of a building, science will tell you that 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 anvil is going to come down with the force of gravity and reach a certain speed de depending upon how high it is. Uh, and if you happen to be standing in the path of that anvil, it will hurt you or potentially kill you. That is science that is clear, uh, that there's absolutely no question about it. You should never stand underneath the falling anvil. But I, I'm starting to believe more and more that scientists... Um, have have deviated greatly from the scientific method. Um, they the scientific method that we all believe is very very good is that you do an experiment, you have a hypothesis, you do an experiment, you collect the data, and then you see whether or not your hypothesis was true. And then maybe that experiment is carried over and over again, over thousands or millions of different experiments, and at some point, it becomes so clear that you a hundred percent of the time get the same result that you could almost call that a law, a, a scientific law. But uh, what we've done lately over the last 50 years, and I think it's because we are trying to, we're trying to figure out the best path forward with limited knowledge, limited science, limited time, is that we might perform the experiment once or twice and get a result that maybe looks right, um, maybe looks like there's an impact or an effect. This is actually the, the field of statistics where you uh, design an experiment. Uh, statistical experiments are designed in a different way than the falling anvil experiment. In the falling anvil experiment, there's only one data that you're collecting. In statistical experiments, you might be collecting two or three or 10 data points. And when you collect those data points, you put them together in a model and it'll tell you whether or not your hypothesis is true or not. But the way it tells you your hypothesis is true or not is it gives you a percentage probability that it's true. Like I'm 99.5% sure that this is true or I'm 99.9% sure it's true or I'm 99.99% sure it's true. And, um, and we make a lot of decisions now in our society based upon that type of analysis. The problem is, is that one, we don't always collect the data perfectly. Two, our model isn't always correct. The way we interpret the data isn't always correct, you know, perfectly. And three, just because you, they say it's 99% true, there's always that 1% chance that it's not true. And um, there's actually a good author, um, Oh, uh, what is his name? Uh, the name's escaping me, but he's, he's talking about black swan events. There is in nature a thing called a black swan. And for, you know, a lot of people say there's no such thing as a black swan. Black swans don't exist, but we have pictures of black swans. They're very, very, very rare. They're like 0.00001% of the black swan population. I mean, you never, if you see a black swan, my friend, you probably have seen an event that is about the same as being struck by lightning. That's how rare it is, but they exist. And so 
when we when we make these, you know, I'm 95% sure, 97% sure that this is true, you know, we ignore the 3% or the black swans in in life, but but the black swans do exist and um, you can't ignore it. Particularly if ignoring it could mean that you're standing underneath, underneath the anvil and it's going to kill you. So, um, and that's what, because our society over the last 50 to 75 years has been so focused on the new scientific method, which is statistics, which means that, um, you know, we're 99% sure we have fallen into a lot of traps where we weren't planning for that 1% chance or that 0.001% chance where it could actually be true and come to exist in it. And it hurts a society or it hurts a population or hurts or kills people. So um, those types of things do exist. And, um, and that whole process is imperfect because from the data collection to the interpretation to the analysis to the fact that we're, you know, that data collection in that area doesn't always give you the results that you, and, and a lot of people, I've seen this before, is that you get the data and all the data points look great except for that one outlier. And if I could just throw out that one outlier, and I know it's an outlier, then man, this data is 99.5% true. But if I don't throw out that outlier, my goodness, then the data is 94% true. And that's not enough to be able to um, tell back to my stakeholders who funded this research that it's true. So you look at that outlier and you say, oh, it was on a rainy day or it was on a, uh, you know, it was, it was a day where um, it was on a weekend or uh, it was, you know, it was on this per certain population group or whatever. I mean, you go back and you start reinterpreting that outlier and you say, oh yeah, that, that doesn't count. So you throw it out. Now all of a sudden the data looks good. Well, that outlier might have been a black swan. Um, anyway, I... I apologize for that. That is a long discussion. Oh my goodness. You should never turn loose a pastor who uh, studied statistics and loves statistics. I will tell you one story. I went into engineering college and um, started working as an engineer in this new field where it's where everything's done by statistics. And um, my training in statistics wasn't that strong. So I went back and got additional training in statistics. And... Um, and found out that I absolutely loved it. I love statistics. I love all aspects of. I love the science behind it. The, you know the logic behind it. The calculations behind. I mean, I love everything about statistics. And had I known that that field existed prior to becoming a civil engineer, I probably would have become a statistician, working at some agency, looking at uh, graphs and charts and data and something like that, and trying to figure out what the results of those data are. And so I, um, but I didn't, uh, I used it quite a bit, but it wasn't my major field, but I, I just love statistics. So this kind of thing really intrigues me and I love it. It's most fascinating and uh, it really pulls at my heartstrings quite a bit. So that's why I talked about it so much. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, so um, every perfect gift so the, the, so the statistics of the perfect gift is that it's 100% perfect. Every perfect gift comes from God into imperfect people, but the gift itself is imperfect. The father of lights um, who does not change like shifting shadows. Uh, this speaks to me also. I love 
when I'm out walking in the morning in the wintertime and it's dark and you can see all the stars or when you're outside at night, uh, maybe, and it's late at night and you can see the stars, whenever you can see the stars and just look at them and look at the constellations and, and uh, realize that those stars have been around for a long time and they will be around for a long time and they don't change. That, when I think about an unchanging God, this, these lights, uh, that I see in the heavens, the heavenly lights uh, are great, great. They resonate with me greatly because the North Star is always going to be in that position. And if you always look, you know, certain direction from the North Star, depending upon the time of year, you always find the Big Dipper and then you can find the Little Dipper and you can always, you know, different times of the year, find the different constellations and look at them and say, yeah, that's Orion and there's his bow and he's shooting, uh, Taurus the bull, you know, and all of this stuff. I mean, it's just, it's just so cool and so constant. And if you were a person living 2,000 years ago and all the other changes were happening in the world, the one constant that you could always count on was that the sun came up in the morning and it set at night and the stars came out and the constellations moved around and there was order to it and there was pattern to it. It was unshifting. And there was great, it's hard for us because we have so many things in our world today that we know are constants, the foundation that we can build upon. Even in science, there's so much that we can build upon. I, I saw this great description of Elon Musk. And, just so you know, I, I love me, Elon Musk. If I could ever just spend 30 minutes in a room with Elon Musk, I would have died and gone to heaven. I, I, he thinks in similar ways that I think people should think. And the two things that he believes are one is that you have to find out in any problem that you're trying to solve, you have to go back down to the basics, the problem, the root. And you have to find truths that you know are so true that you can build it as a foundation. And then you build upon those truths and you build and you build and you build and you never add anything onto that truth unless you are 100% sure that that is a foundational truth. And then once you have built that or started to build that, then you look at relationships across technologies, across areas of influence, across things to find ways to bring in new things into truths that you know are truth. And he says, those are the two things that I do. And that allows me to be creative and think of new truths or find new relationships or something like that. And that is what he does. And that just resonates so deeply with me. I think that is so wonderful. Uh, because I, um, well, just because of my personality, I've talked about this before, but I'm the, I like to think uh, in, I'm the investigator on this personality chart called the Enneagram. I'm called the investigator. I love to just sit and think about deep truths or things that you know will never shift, are always going to be there, always going to be constant. Uh, those are the things I always like to try to get down to the deep root truth. So that speaks to me. Probably a lot of you are like that also. And, um, and so I, I love that. And then try to find the relationships across fields or, or whatever is also part of that. Um, and God is a truth that is unchangeable. In my mind, God is a truth.
that I do not deviate from ever. And I don't know why it, this actually happened to me in high school. Uh, we were at a, at a youth retreat, retreat, and I was learning all these new truths about God and Scripture and way to live life. And you know, the new truth that was being presented to me is that Jesus was God and that he lived a beautiful, perfect life, and he's a great example, and he redeemed my sins and all that sort of thing. And I don't know, but I came to this conclusion that that was a deep truth that needed to be planted in my soul. That's an Elon Musk truth, which most people would think is crazy because you can't prove it, but there was something in that retreat that, that said to me that this is a truth. And that to think otherwise is folly. And I don't know why. It has to be a God thing. That's the only thing I can think of. And I've never been able to deviate from it. I, I can think about deviating from it. I can see why people deviate from it. But for me, I can't. It's too true for me to ever deviate from it. It is embedded in my psyche, in my life, in everything about me. So anyway, um, I, I'll finish this off. He gave us... He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. In other words, that he gives us the word. This is the logos of truth. He chose to give us birth in Jesus. We brought into the kingdom. We now have an association with the truth and the word. Why is that? So that we would be the first fruits of everything he created. And what is the, I mean, we know that mankind is the pinnacle of his creation. We know that. He says that in scripture. He created man and then he said, it, he created everything else and he said it was good. And then he created man. And he said, this is very good. So we are the first fruits of creation. We know that because that comes from scripture. But that, but that he gives us birth through the logos that we might be a first fruit of all that he created. So there's something special about his church. And I don't mean special like he loves us more because God is love. He loves everyone equally. But that there's something about the church that when you are in the kingdom, there is a special, you are a first fruit. And the first fruit was when you had a harvest, you would go in and you take the first part of that harvest and you would give it back to God. So maybe that's, a, maybe that's what we mean here is that we are a first fruit because we as the church are the portion that are given back to God so that he can use us as his hands and feet in the world. That would, that would probably be consistent with James because we'll see as we go on that he talks more about this very concept. So the reason why we're first fruits is we've been called out of mankind, out of humanity. We've been given new birth through Jesus and this, the Holy Spirit lives in us and we are a first fruit of all of his creation and we are the first fruit of mankind so that we have a purpose which is to be his hands and feet in the world around us. I kind of like that. All right, I think we'll uh, I think we'll end it there. Let's let's uh, close with prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for every perfect gift that you provide to me and to all of us because you are perfect and you are unchanging and that gives us great hope in this world. In your name we pray, amen.